So let's give attention to God's holy and inspired word. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people his works, giving them the land of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, as we take up these songs that you have given us, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help them not only to know them with our, with our um, minds and to hear them with our ears, but to embrace them with our hearts and to trust in you and to let them shape our thoughts so that we might reflect your glory as we give you praise and we give you honor and we give you worship. We thank you, O oh Lord, for this opportunity to gather together in your word and pray that you would speak to each person here, whether they're, they're listening now or online or in a recording later. We pray, O oh Lord, your blessing upon them, that you would speak and that your name would be glorified through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What are we called to do with our lives? We often think that we need relationships, comfort, security, provision, money. And we think about making sure we have those things. And obviously that's important. We may be, and other times we may not be able to even reflect on what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. We get so busy with our work, with our kids, with taking care of maybe aging parents or whatever the case may be, that we don't have, have much time to even reflect on what we're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times we're just surviving, just making it through, doing the tasks. But life is not made just for survival. It's made for us to thrive and to live life well. It's important that we think about what is it not simply to get by and to get the things done we need to, but what is the best life that we want to live? It's an interesting uh, story in history of, or a, a phenomenon in history that occurred in Greek, ancient Greece. The Spartans, uh, from whom many teams, uh, football teams and others have taken their names, were famous and are famous the world over for training for war. From a young age, they put people through this rigorous training, and they were constantly training for war, and they were feared all over. And eventually, their ability in war enabled them to defeat Athens, their rival, and to gain an empire in Greece. But once they gained the empire, they virtually immediately lost it because they had trained to win it, but they had never trained to, to run an empire. And I think a lot of times that's what our life is. We're just trying to get through. We're trying to, to win the battle of life and survive and make sure we, we make it through. But we've never thought about what if we're doing well? What if we have time? What if things go relatively well? Then what are we supposed to do with our lives? Well, I think this text tells us what it is to live well. And the Psalms 
call us back to what it is to live life well as human beings created in the image of God. And, it be, and, and we see this purpose beginning very simply with the beginning of this psalm. Pages stuck together. And it is simply this. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The word hallelujah is a command. Let us praise the Lord. Let us give him worship. And so the call is for us to take up the purpose of life, to live life well, which is to see God, to see who he is, and to respond to that in words of praise. The purpose of life is first and foremost to observe the glory of God through this world and to give him praise. That's what it means, praise the Lord. And the Lord wants us to do this not simply with our our lips, not simply just thinking about it, but he says that we should do it with our whole heart. Notice he says in verse 1, I will extol the Lord with all my heart. In other words, from the innermost part of my being, I will see the Lord and rejoice in him and glory in him. I will engage with everything that I have, everything aligned in the service of the Lord. It's not just an outward action. It's not just a ritual, though sometimes those things can help us. But the main thing is the heart. I've often heard people debating uh, over the past decades about what, about what we should do in worship. When we have our worship service, whether we should sing this type of song or this activity should be allowed. And not to say that those questions are unimportant, but whatever we do, the main thing is, if we want to truly worship the Lord, that we engage with our hearts. And that's what's required. If we can have all the right forms, but if we don't extol him with our whole being, with our whole heart, then we're not worshiping the Lord as he intends. We're not in accordance with the reality that he's created us to be, that it would not just come from our mouths, but from our hearts. But we also see that the praise of the Lord is we are made to do it not only by ourselves, but with others. Notice what he says in the second part of Psalm 111.1. In the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Where will I praise the Lord? I will praise him with others. We're called to come together and give give him praise. And so it's a great thing to do on our own, but the whole of humanity is called to worship the Lord together in a song of praise. And you know, some of us, if we were to, for example, say, take one of the songs that we sang today um, and say, well, each one of us will take a turn singing this by ourselves. Now, some of us would do it really well. Some of us might do it badly. Some of us would be, okay. But when we do it together, it sounds really great. I didn't, I didn't quite make it into the beginning of the service, and I could actually hear the, the choir of this congregation singing together, and I was like, wow, that is really great. And that's an illustration of the fact that we're called not just to praise the Lord as an individual, but together it is, it is better. But more than that, it's not just that it's a duty, but it's also something that's delightful. When we actually set aside and think of the glory of God, then we can delight in the Lord. It says in verse 2, Great are the works of the Lord, 
They are pondered by all who delight in them. And so, when we actually step back, take a deep breath, and say, what is there in front of my face? And who has created this? Is something that's very pleasant. I love going out uh, in the morning with, uh, to uh, seek the Lord on my back deck. And it's like, it's like a, a, a sheet of varied greens that is in front of me because it's like in the trees. And it's just so beautiful, and I'm always reminded there's the glory of the Lord. I think about uh, one woman who's a part of our church who often puts up, she, she has a good view of the sunrise from her home, and she puts up the, the glory of the Lord that is there. To stop and see that and to give praise to the Lord is something that is refreshing, and it is something that is delightful. And we can see the beauty that is around us is a call to worship the Lord. And so that's the call to praise the Lord that we have in this passage. I want you to see, secondly, in this passage, the content of the praise of the Lord. Now, one of the things that we are called to do is to praise the Lord for who He is. That we say He is great, He is mighty, He is wonderful, He's compassionate, He's good, He's, he's just, He's true, he's, he's infinite in glory, and so on. But we also praise Him for His works, for the things that He has done. We praise Him for who He is in Himself, but we also praise Him for His works. And a lot of times, we know the Lord better through His works than just contemplation of His essence in the abstract. Because we see in front of our eyes in a way that's suited to us the things that He has made, and we think beyond them to His glory. And so, in this passage, a lot of this passage is describing the things that we're praising the Lord for. And it emphasizes His works. I want you to see here in Psalm 11, um, that he speaks of the works of God in general, but then also a few of them more specifically. And so we'll go through that. So his works in general, what he says is the works of the Lord are great. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Great are the things that he has done. He's not just doing small things. He's doing amazing things. And sometimes people wonder, why did God create such a huge universe when, as far as we know, we're the only creatures apart from the angels that can actually know the Lord. Maybe there's more out there. We don't know. But either way, even if, even if that, there's more to that and he has other purposes, we don't know. But it seems sometimes you wonder, why did God create such a big universe? Well, I think one reason is because God is great. And he does great and big things. And what a bitter, bitter picture could we have of the infinite glory of God than the universe in its vast extent. We see the glory of the Lord in the variety of the ways that the universe shows His splendor and its beauty and wonder. But we also see it on a smaller level. We see it in the way in, we see it in our planet and the way it's created to sustain life. We see it in our own body and the way the Lord has created us and above all with our brain that is able to process things and able to understand things in, a way, in an amazing way. Um, and, and our body is able to function. But even if we go smaller, we can go big or we can go large. And then smaller, we find that there's literally trillions upon trillions of little computers basically running our body, which is the cells that are inside us, that have informa- tons of information that they're communicating all the time. 
And it's, it's really almost beyond belief. Whether we look downward or we look upward, we see the infinite glory of God. And so great are the works of the Lord, and to ponder them is delightful. He says, secondly, that the, the works of the Lord are glorious, majestic, and righteous. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. It's not just that they're big, they're, they're, they're glorious. They're amazing things. They show his majesty, that he's a great king, that, is, that has great works that are, that are fabulous and wonderful. One person who who recognized this was a man named Louis Pasteur. And he is the one who invented the process of pasteurization. And part of that came out of him and a couple of others who were doing research, trying to understand some of the phenomenon they were observing. And it led them to, the, to discover bacteria and all the things that it causes. And so they, they, they had a series of innovations that enabled them to, to make human life a little bit safer in the hospital, and in, in our food production, and so on. But Louis Pasteur, when he studied the world, he saw the glory of God and his majesty. He said, posterity will one day laugh at the foolishness of modern materialistic philosophers. He says, the more I study nature, the more I stand amazed at the work of the creator. I pray while I'm engaged at my work in my laboratory. And so that's what we can do as we observe the works of the Lord. But then the works of the Lord are wonders. They're they're things that cause us to to be astonished when we actually look at them in depth. Look at verse 4. It says, He has caused His wonders to be remembered. That they are truly wonderful things that cause us to be astonished when we actually see all that the Lord has done. One of the most amazing things about the world is that we can see it we can know it, and we can understand it. That we are actually in a position to be able to do that. Even in terms of the placement of our planet in this galaxy, we're able to see out into the world. And the position, the type of atmosphere that we have, allows us to see, into, look into the universe, and the placement of our planet in our galaxy allows us to look beyond our galaxy and to see the wonders that are there. We are in a place where we can see it. But it's also understandable. There's a language that describes how the world runs, and it's the language of mathematics. And it is amazing that we can actually see it and understand it. We may not even think about that, but it's something that is there. And that's why uh, the great scientist Albert Einstein said, I want to know how God created this world. I am not interested in this or that phenomenon, in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. And it's a wondrous thing that we can know his, his thoughts. So what should we do then? We should observe the works of the Lord because they are great, they're majestic, they are wondrous, they're glorious. And so we should want to know the world because we want to know our creator. And we should think about him when we're studying in school and hopefully after school and learning things, it's not just to get things done. It's not just to get the grade. It's not just so that, so that we can apply some information to, to get some goal. Knowing the world is observing the works of the Lord. And we should do this with a heart seeking after our Creator. If we are in school it is, and if we are studying, it is not just 
to get the project done. It is an act of, it can be an act of worship to the Lord as we seek to know Him through His works. Now, there are three types of His works. We can think of it in terms of creation, providence, and salvation. And uh, we can see that, that God made the world, that He runs the world, and now He's redeeming the world. So, I want us to look at how this text draws our attention to them. So this is the second part of the content of praising the Lord. We looked at the works in general. Now let's look at them more specifically. So the first type of work that he describes is this work of grace and compassion. And look at verses 4 and 5. It says, He caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. The world is filled with the mercies of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord is all throughout the world. And we can see that he feeds in the, in this in the very simple fact that God feeds us. That he gives us food. And not just food to us, but food to the animals. And you remember that Jesus himself was fascinated by that. He brought this up many other, po- and many other times. He says, our Father in heaven, there he is providing food. And so how much for the animals? How much more will he take care of you who matter much more than the animals? The Lord feeds his people. This probably also has a reference to how God fed his people in the desert, that he feeds his people uh, in the desert when there is no food, that the Lord often uses means, crops, and factories, and farmers to get food there, but he can do it without that. And in the desert, he provided manna for his people. And so he feeds his people like he did in the desert. But he also feeds his people with himself. Because we have our body needs physical food, but our soul needs spiritual food. And that spiritual food is the nourishment of a relationship with God himself. It satisfies our deepest longing. We're all looking for that infinite love and that infinite satisfaction that God alone can give. And Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, because he is the satisfaction of our soul. That shows his grace and compassion, that he gives us food for body and soul. Secondly, we have his works of truth and justice. Look at verse 7. It says, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever and acted in faithfulness and uprightness. We can see this in general in how God runs the world, that there's a relative regularity in how the world functions, such as with the laws of gravity and with the the way the, the seasons come and the way food arrives and plants grow and all these things that we can do certain things and we expect an outcome because God has has put the world in order. But then he also has given us a sense of order in ourselves of how human beings should be regulated and how we should live. And it's a it's a sense that we can't get away from. Even if we want to, we sometimes try to suppress that idea that there is absolute law that that human beings must obey, that a way that we should function that is not arbitrary, that we can't dismiss. But even when we try to dismiss it, we still end up doing it. I remember 
Francis Schaeffer talking about in his, in his book, uh, one of his books, how Jean-Paul Sartre, who was an atheist, said that, said that morality was relative. In other words, it's not something that's an absolute standard. It can change. But when the Algerian Civil War went on, Algeria was a colony of France, he condemned what France was doing. And he was saying that this is not just like my, my opinion, like I don't like coffee or I don't like tea. This is bad in an objective sense. He couldn't get away from it because he recognized what God had put within him, even if he didn't recognize it as such, the law of how we should treat each other. And so that is within us. And we see that God acts in accordance with that justice. He will deal with people. And we see that when people do wrong, it doesn't, often doesn't keep going. Eventually there's a reckoning, even in this life. And we need to recognize that is the case because those are the kinds of things that can drive us crazy when people are doing wrongs and we can't do anything about it. But we recognize there's a God who is doing something about it. But we also see that just God is a God of justice, above all on the cross. Because while there's, there's wrongs that are dealt with in this life, all sins are worthy of eternal punishment. The wages of sin is death, God says, as he said in the garden. But So how would God pardon us and forgive us and still remain a just God? Well, it says that God sent for Jesus, who was a sacrifice for our sins, to show himself to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He allowed us to have a substitute, our representative, to stand in our place and to take our punishment so that we could be freed. And in there he shows the justice in an amazing way that also shows his mercy. That's something we should contemplate forever. We also recognize that justice is served in the future. The song Joy to the World is based on Psalm 98, and it's talking about the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He's going to sort out all wrongs. He's going to deal with them. Even if things may be in disorder now, even if people may do things wrong now, even if we may be upset at that, the judge is going to deal with it. In the end, we're going to be completely satisfied. That's the works of the Lord. But we also see the Lord's work of redemption. Redemption. Look at verse 9. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Redemption is where someone is in a problem that they can't get out of, and then they are brought out of that into a better place. And obviously, when, when the psalmist was singing, he, probably what came first to his mind was the fact that Israel had been in slavery in Egypt under a pharaoh, and they couldn't get out of it, and they, were, they had no ability to do it, and God came with a mighty hand and a mighty arm, defeated Pharaoh, and liberated them out and brought them to a good place. That's redemption. That's redemption. And that is what God does. And it's interesting that in our own history, we can see that, that thinking of God as this type of God has, has led to the shaping of a lot of songs in our history, especially among African Americans as they experienced slavery themselves. That they were singing of these things because they recognized that God was a God who redeemed them. And eventually, in the, in the right time, God did end that slavery and brought, and brought them out in accordance with their prayers. And this can apply to us, too, at any time where we feel oppressed, we feel like there's a situation that we can't get out of, that we re- recognize that God's the God who provides redemption, that we shouldn't be hopeless or in despair if we don't know how we're going to get out of a situation. 
But above all, we recognize that redemption refers to our biggest problem, which is our sin that separates us from God, our sin that leads us to turn away from God and the tyranny of the devil. And we recognize that God has provided redemption. When we were slaves, God brought us out into his light and to see his light. As Peter said, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. These are the things, as he says, that angels desire to look into. And so, is it not a blessing to look into these things? Is it not a blessing to contemplate these things? This is what God has created for us for. It's not a waste of time. I'm amazed as, I've, as I, every time I contemplate the story of Socrates, who is the famous philosopher um, who uh, we still remember through the writings of Plato and through his story. And he was, he was condemned by the leaders of Athens for corrupting the youth. And so he was sentenced to death and eventually was put to death. But what was he doing while he was in prison waiting to be put to death? He was composing hymns to God. And I thought, why did he do that? Because he recognized in his own way that that's what human beings were created for. So my thought is, if Socrates did that without the light of the gospel that we have, how much more should we recognize that this is our purpose and what we are called to? It is a challenge to us. Why not us? Now, one more point that I want to close with, because there's one more verse here that shifts our gears a little bit, and it'll be much shorter than the last point, which was really quite long, um, is the practical consequence of praising the Lord. So, what, what is the payoff of praising the Lord? Well, this, there's many, but this passage tells us of one. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So what this passage is telling us is that, it, it, that when we praise the Lord, it's teaching us to see reality aright and to know what to do in our lives. It is the beginning of wisdom. Now, people might object to that and say, well, I've known many Christians who were kind of foolish. And I've known people who weren't Christians who didn't praise the Lord who were wise. Now, I think in some ways we could say that that's true. Like, we might say that, that sometimes the people of this world know better what to do with the things of the world and how the world functions than we do. Certainly is the case. Jesus himself says, Sometimes the children of darkness have greater wisdom than the children of light in the respect to this world and to expect to living in, in the day-to-day commerce of life and politics, you might say. But we have to also have to recognize that, that it's not business or politics um, or, or even, even relationships in our family that are the most important things. But the most important thing is our, is our relationship with the Lord. And that he's actually the most important factor. And that even if we are the, the, the dumbest person when it comes to business or, or how to run a country or whatever the case may be, that if we actually know the Lord, then we have a resource that's greater than the resources of the wisest in politics or business. We have that resource. And that is the answer. That is what we are talking about here. It is, as one author put it, says the virtues 
of, of the Christian faith are healthy because they are in harmony with objective reality on the natural and supernatural level. They correspond to the principle of health and goodness. And so we think about this. How does this help us? How does this help us? Well, I, I, I was reminded of this uh, in an example of something that happened this week. One person was complaining to me uh, about some things that were going on in his church. It's not this church. It's not a church in this, in, in this area. But he was just talking to me about these things. And it became apparent that the things he was concerned about, he really had little, very little that he could do about it. There was, he had very little recourse, and the other people who were concerned about it had very little recourse. And so what were they to do? Well, they could just be frustrated. They could be angry. They could look at those people and say, I don't like them, and they're bad. But I said, there's another perspective here that's also really important. And that is that, that you, can't, you shouldn't just see the world. You shouldn't just see the people in it. You need to look beyond it, and you need to see the Christ who is reigning in his church. That there is something that you can do, and there is something that is being done. That Jesus is reigning over his church, and that he's active, and that he's doing something there, even when we don't see it, and that we can go to him, and even ask him about it, and talk to him about it. So when we feel helpless, we have a place we can go. We just need to see not only the situation, but the Christ who is above it. And that's what praise does for us. It helps us to see the situation as it really is. We begin to see reality as it actually is, with Christ above it, reigning and working, even though we oftentimes don't see it. That's what praise for the works of the Lord can do. So let us not think that this is a waste of time. It is good to praise the Lord. It is what we are created for. It, is, if it will fill us with delight. It will change our perspective. And above all, we should do it because he is worthy. As it says, to him belongs eternal praise. Amen.